Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Thank you for the gift of being part of your body. Here, this local expression in our city, we think about the other churches, uh, local bodies in our city that are gathering, and we think about our brothers and sisters across our nation and across our world. And Lord, what a gift it is to be in you, to be known by you, to be loved by you, to be part of this new human community that you have created, re-renewed, restored in Christ. And so we, this morning, bow at your feet. And we're asking that your Holy Spirit would speak through your word. And Lord, you know each person you brought into the room here. Um, There's a purpose that you have for each of us individually, and there's a purpose you have for us collectively. And I pray we would have ears to hear and eyes to see, and you would stir our affections for you this morning, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Titus chapter 1, verses 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet in their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Pretty harsh, huh? Like, as we're just jumping in here, pretty strong words here from Paul to Titus. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, and that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But you, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And this is God's word. I absolutely adore my wife, my bride, Katie. And Yesterday, I had the opportunity to officiate a wedding, and it's at uh, the historical Paca House um, downtown on Prince George Street. And um, as the weddings go there, uh, if you've ever been to the pa- Paca Garden, uh, there's this beautiful just kind of like uh, garden, and there's these stair steps down. It's like a couple hundred yards, and the bride just walks down um, to the front. And at the bottom where I'm standing, there's a uh, in the summer house with the groom. We're on the second floor, and we're kind of look. I'm kind of looking out um, among the grounds, and it's so hot yesterday, as you remember, um, that everybody's like waiting at the top until the thing is going to start, right? So, so all of a sudden, the the wedding party starts making their way down this grass, uh, down these stair steps. And I and I and we're in conversation in this summer house. I'm on the second floor there. And all of a sudden, I see the first person walking down uh, the, the, these stair steps down the garden, and it's my wife. And I, I just have to like I just completely interrupt the conversation. I don't even know what was being talked about. I'm like. That is my bride. That's my wife. I see her. I see her from the window. She's beautiful. And I didn't know, you know, I, I had left early to come to the wedding, so I didn't know what she was wearing, but I knew her dress. I could see it from a distance. And it was like there was nothing that could stop me in that moment from just talking about her. Um, I couldn't stop looking at her. Um, I saw her elegant long dress. I saw the way she was walking. I know how she walks. 
Uh, I saw, I could even see the curl, the curls in her hair that she does when she goes to fancy parties and weddings and things. And they were, they were beautiful. And, and I saw, I could even see the, the complexion of her skin and the light in her eyes. And she was, and I watched her all the way down. And then she saw an old friend that we hadn't seen in years. And I just saw her engaging in conversation with him. And I, my heart was just thrilled. Like my heart was sad. I just was like so happy to see her and so stirred to see her. My affections were stirred for her. And I knew her, I know her from reading her mannerisms and reading her tastes and reading her face and reading her body for almost 30 years. And my heart is, was, was jumped and stirred in that moment. Mumford and Sons, uh, the band, has a great song, uh, Not With Haste, and the opening lyrics go like this. Your eyes, they tie me down so hard. I'll never learn to put up a guard. Keep my love, my candle bright. Learn me hard, oh, learn me right. And I've learned my wife over these years. And our love has been kept. And it's not perfect by any means. I'm not a perfect husband. She's not a perfect wife. But, but our candle is bright. And for some of us this morning, when we start to think about our faith, when we consider Jesus... Our hearts are not stirred. They've grown cold. Or maybe they've never been stirred in the first place. And this was the case. This is the background and the story of the churches on this island called Crete. We're going to be looking at this letter for the next three weeks. David and I are going to be back and forth teaching a bit here. And their hearts had not been stirred. I mean, Crete was in that first century world, an incredibly corrupt society. We know this from history. Uh, Even Paul quotes one of their poets um, and says, all Cretans are liars. I mean, how about that? I mean, that is just brutal, isn't it? And, And Paul leaves Titus on Crete. We know this is sort of the background of this letter. He leaves Titus on Crete to put what remained in order. This is verse five. This is why I left you on Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Okay. Um, the churches, these churches that probably met in houses throughout Crete, had become disordered. Their hearts had been, and we know, their hearts had been wooed and stirred by something or someone else other than Jesus. And specifically, what we, what we know in the background of this, of this letter, as we read uh, these three chapters this week and study them, is that unhealthy leaders have crept into these local churches, and they were actually teaching a different gospel and leading people's hearts astray. And so the whole letter is about Paul's approach. And what is Paul's approach? He teaches Titus to teach the communities here, the, the, these Jesus communities on Crete, to order their love back towards Christ. And he does this by, by encouraging healthy leaders to be appointed, elders, shepherds. He, in, in chapter two, he talks um, how the households uh, of faith in these communities need to operate, need to love each other. And then he even expands it out into the broader culture and how we as a new human community in Christ are to live healthy within the world structures, within our work, within our um, relationships outside of our families and in the world. But between chapter 1 and chapter 2, okay, Paul drops a bomb of a verse, and that's what we're going to look at for the next few minutes here. One verse, okay, he drops this bomb, and it, what, it, what this verse does is it provides the critical foundation through which our hearts are stirred with affection, 
for Christ. And here's the verse. I read it, but I just want to read it again here. He says, but as for you, this is Paul to Titus, as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So we're just going to look at these two words in this verse, doctrine first, and then what it means for doctrine to be sound, okay? As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, first doctrine. There's a pastor in Dallas named Matt Chandler. He has this great um, phrase. He says, seeing God rightly stirs the affections of the soul. Seeing God rightly stirs the affections of the soul. And, and this word doctrine shows up over 50 times in Scripture, and it's significant. First Timothy speaks, uh, uh, the letter to uh, Timothy in First Timothy speaks a lot about this. Jesus uses this word in the Gospel of Mark. What is doctrine? Okay. Some of us, when we hear that word, we're going to talk about this a little bit, like shrink back, like, don't put that on me. I don't want to hear any of that religious stuff, right? Some of us, like, we, we come alive, we're like, tell me more, give me more, right? And, and so what is doctrine? Uh, the, the word here in Greek means an instruction or teaching, a truth that has been established, Okay, so we're talking about some kind of content. Okay? This isn't just whimsical in the air. This is something that is of substance, some kind of content. That which is taught precepts. A belief, doctrine is a belief or set of beliefs held and taught. Okay, this probably isn't new news to, to many of us here. Here's another way to summarize it. Doctrine is a principle or position or the body of principles in a branch, branch of knowledge or system of belief. And for our passage, and in this context, we're talking about the doctrine of the Christian faith. I mean, this is really what Paul is encouraging Titus to, to say, uh, you teach the doctrine that is defined by Jesus and the whole council of Scripture. Christian doctrine is the collection of truths drawn out of the whole of Scripture regarding what Christians believe and how they are to live. I know that might seem so basic and obvious, but it's so foundational. And this is exactly some of the trouble that was happening in Crete. Listen, Titus, you've got to lay the foundation here. And, that, and that's what we want to continue to do here because there are seasons where things get a little out of whack and we got to bring things back together, okay? And we want to continue to be a body and encourage one another to be sound in doctrine. Now, when we hear this word doctrine in our cultural moment, some of the words we might think of, maybe some of the words that you've thought of, indoctrination. Anybody, like, when you hear the word doctrine, think of that. Uh, dogma. Anybody hear doctrine and think dogma, um, restriction. Uh, you know, John was mentioning this in Confession and Assurance earlier. Like, that is just going to restrict me. Don't put that doctrine on me. Anybody feel that? Narrowness. Maybe you think narrowness or legalism. These are all words that uh, it, for, for many people, this word doctrine brings up. Okay. And let's, can we just be honest and say the church has not always done a good job throughout history of talking about what the beauty and the value of doctrine is. And there has been a lot of indoctrination and a lot of dogma and a lot of legalism surrounding this idea of doctrine. And so we can just be honest about that, but that doesn't necessarily mean we throw it out altogether, okay? Because here's the opposite problem. I, I hear this all the time, and maybe this is something you've said. I don't know about all that doctrine. I, I, just, just give me Jesus. That's all I need, Okay? Now, in one sense, there's a really simple, powerful, uh, this is a really simple, powerful phrase. But here's the problem. Well, tell me, who is Jesus? And immediately, what are we into? Doctrine. <laughs> and so it actually is virtually impossible to hold 
a faith in Jesus Christ and not in some way, shape, or form have a determination about his life, about who he was, about what happened, and about the scripture as a whole, because the whole scripture points to him. And so as, as romantic as it sounds, I don't need the doctrine, I don't need the church, I don't need all the indoctrination stuff, I don't need all the rules, I just need Jesus. In one sense, I get that, and we get that, and we're like, let's not overcomplicate things. Fair. Let's not. But on the other end, as a follower of Christ, and exactly what Paul is, is exhorting Titus to here in these churches on Crete, and what we want to exhort you to and one another to, is to say, to hold fast to doctrine is absolutely essential to what it means to name the name of Jesus. There is no such thing as, I just follow Jesus, but I don't need any of the church or any, of, any doctrine. It's, it, it, I mean, it is, it's virtually impossible to do that. Or if you do that, it is the equivalent of me saying and talking about my beautiful bride and my beautiful wife, and, and somebody says, well, what do you love about her? And I'm like, ah, uh, she's just Katie. I don't know. <laughs> I just love Katie. Well, yeah, but what about her life? What about her story? What about her? What about what she does? What about what she says? What about how she looks? I don't know any of that. I'm not really into. Don't I don't let's let's stay away from the doctrine thing with my wife. Let's don't I, I don't want to be indoctrinated. I just just her. Okay. Worse is if she said to me, Joey, just tell me, what do you love about me? I don't. I just love you. I just love you. What does that mean? I I don't know. I don't. Come on, really? Do we need to get into all those details? I don't, I mean, let's not get legalistic here, sweetheart. Can I, just, can I just be safe and have a healthy distance from you and not actually get into any of the aspects of your life and our life together? Because that would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? It's a lot safer, isn't it? But Paul is proactive here, and he's saying, listen, Titus, these churches are running, there, there is a lot of unhealthy things happening in here. And the way that we ground them and root them is by teaching and embodying healthy doctrine. You see, to be stirred for something, you have to learn them hard. You have to learn them right. You have to know the specifics. Okay? Just let me translate this in, in one other way. Think about this, okay? When you go on a vacation, or when the, 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 really, the really great one is television shows, okay? And I do this myself. You know your favorite television show? You know it, don't you? You know it in and out. You know every character. You know every episode. You know all the problems in it. You know all the best parts of it. You know what you like about it. You have, very, you have a ton of opinions on it. You have formed a doctrine around that television show. When you go on vacation, you do the research. You know where you're going. You know what you want to do. You know what activities. You get into it. I mean, you have a plan laid out. You have a systematic theology about your vacation, don't you? And you love it. And not for one moment do you say, this is just legalistic indoctrination of the vacation in my life. I just want to just not be in any of the details. You'll miss your flight. You won't have any fun. It'll be a mess, right? You have to do those things. It's part of what allows the vacation to be beautiful and wonderful. It's what allows you to enjoy the television show. And the reality is if we really strip it down, we're all actually indoctrinated. We all hold fast to some kind of doctrine about Jesus or our faith. The question is how thick or how thin is it? How strong or how brittle is it? How sick or how healthy is it? Is our view of Jesus and the doctrine of the Christian faith that comes to us through the counsel of Scripture. 
And this, this brings us to the second word here because th- this raises a lot of questions. Well, when we're talking about doctrine then, Joey, what are we actually talking about? And Paul gives this great descriptor, doesn't he? He says, not just doctrine, but what does he tell Titus? To teach. What kind of doctrine? Sound doctrine. Okay, you're, you're following along here. We're paying attention here. This is good. Okay. The Greek word here for sound is actually healthy, healthy doctrine. Okay? Uh, the Greek means to, to be sound, to be well, to be in good health. Okay? Um, Christians whose opinions are free from any mixture of error. And this is what's happening in the churches in Crete. There's all kinds of mixing going on. This is in contrast to the unsound doctrine or unhealthy uh, teachings that these leaders are bringing into Crete. They've made their way into the churches, and they're really causing problems. How do we know this? Okay. Well, first of all, we, we could say that the general thing that's happening in the context of Crete is there's a mixture of Jewish legalism. We see that in verse 10. I read that earlier. Okay. Uh, especially those of the circumcision party, that's uh, Paul's code in short for. There's people who are of Jewish faith who have made some kind of a profession in Jesus and are now saying, actually, what you really need to do is go back and obey all of the Old Testament law, and then you're really going to be a true Christian. So Paul's that, okay? Secondly, we know there's uh, Greek mythology, and we see some of these threads and themes coming up through uh, the letter of Titus. Uh, Crete was uh, the birthplace of Zeus, um, and so there is this mythology happening in this place. They've adopted the gospel, but they're still sort of wrapped up a little bit um, in these Greek myths. And then they had received the gospel to some extent. Um, There's no doubt there's a genuine faith there because new communities of Jesus were planted all over Crete, and this is exactly why there needs to be tending to, okay? But listen to some of the the problems here uh, in Crete. I mean, I I read through, and I'll just hit hit through here. You can follow along with me. Uh, There's people who are empty talkers, deceivers. These are the leaders who have crept in. They're upsetting whole families by teaching what they ought not to teach. So this is uh, unsoundness of doctrine, okay? Okay. Paul is firm with Titus, rebuke them sharply um, so that they may be, here's the word again, sound in faith. That's verse 13. There's defilement happening. Um, Their consciences are seared. They profess to know God, verse 16, but deny him by their works. And then Paul uses some more strong words, detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. I mean, for the fidelity of the body of Christ, this is not something that Paul is playing around with. He's saying, listen, the foundation of a healthy church is that there is healthy, sound, being taught and lived out and and embodied. Now, here's the challenge for us in 21st century, East Coast, Western American culture, okay? Can we just talk about this for a minute? Is that all right? Okay. There, I think there's, what I identify, there's, twofold, there's a twofold problem, okay, when we talk about sound doctrine, okay? I'm just going to put us in two boxes here, okay? You can forgive me for that. I'll just say, maybe you're in both boxes. Maybe you tend towards one or another. Maybe there's a third box you're in that you could tell me about after. I'm not sure. But we'll just go with two boxes here, okay? The, the two that I see most prevalent in conversations I have, and I know that is at play even in my own heart, okay? The temptation is real. The first we might call license, Okay? It's a, it's, a, it's a fear of missing out. It's a serious FOMO within the church. And the thing that the church is scared of missing out on is the prevailing culture. What if we're too different than the prevailing culture? What if we're, what if we're too far away in our convictions? Um, what if we're criticized? 
What if we're marginalized? Okay? And there's a big fear on this. There's a big fear around this. What do we do in this moment? And one of the ways we deal with that as it relates to what we believe is we adhere to the cultural norms. And we allow what is sound, what is core, we're going to talk a little bit more about what do we mean by sound in a minute, but what is core and sound to be reimagined and defined by the whims of culture. And at times we end up assimilating to the culture. And so check your heart for a moment here. Is that you? Do you err in this direction? When someone at work brings up something about the Christian faith that is actually true and good and beautiful and comes down to us through the centuries and is so crystal clear through the whole council of Scripture, and it is something that absolutely stands in the face of prevailing culture, are you more likely than not to, set, to, to keep quiet, to, to, to agree with the, what the cultural norm is? Okay, this is license. This is licentious. We say, I can do what I want to do, and we can live how we want to live, and we can basically believe what we want to believe, and do you know what? God is gracious, and he's going to forgive us. And that, what we might call, is presuming on God's grace. And that is a real temptation in our cultural moment. It is a real thing, and maybe you face that. I certainly have. Okay, when, when, if you're a licentious person or you, you err in that direction, when you hear the word doctrine, you might think legalism immediately. That might be an indicator towards license. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm not saying you're a legalist. I'm just, say, I'm just saying that might, be, or, uh, that might be what you err towards. But the second, the second concern is not license, but it is legalism. So, so here's the other thread in the, in the pattern that I've seen in conversations with pastors and churches. And this is real too, okay? And I think it's not talked about because it can be kind of over-spiritualized. In fear of being, uh, in fear of the big bad world taking over the church and polluting everything, okay, um, we become the guard dogs of the Christian faith. And what that can lead to at times is followers of Jesus sitting in hard and strong judgment upon brothers and sisters in Christ concerning non-essential nuances of doctrine. So then, like, everything becomes an ultimate thing. And then we're, we're, we're actually dividing ourselves from within the body of Christ across denominations or whatever it might be. Okay? This is what we might call legalism. And what we're doing in this moment is, in essence, putting ourselves in the place of God and we become the doctrine police and the, and the church police in order to maintain its fidelity, we must keep the law <laughs> and only receive justification. Only, only when we keep the law and doctrine perfectly will then we be accepted by God in Christ. And when we hear the word grace, and this might be you, what you hear is license. And that in itself is a heresy because the grace of the gospel is what this story is all about. But if when you hear the word grace, you immediately think that person's being licentious, you might actually be a Pharisee. Or you might err towards that. And by the way, this is the struggle in Crete. The struggle in Crete is not that the Christians are going to abandon the gospel for the cultural norms. 
the problem in Crete is that legalists have crept into the church and are putting yokes and bondages on the church. And actually, most of Paul's letters are about that. Funny enough, interestingly enough. Sound doctrine is holding fast to that which is essential to the faith. So you ask the question, what's the next question that follows? Well, what's essential to the faith? <laughs> Welcome to church history and the body of Christ. And we've been trying to figure this out, and there's a lot of contention around this, right? But let me just try to just, just lay a foundation of, of, of what I think, what I believe in here that is in resonance with the rest of Scripture, okay? How do we decipher between those things that are out of bounds of sound doctrine and those things that are preferentials within sound doctrine, okay? Are you with me? This is a really important question that we need to, to wrestle down and have a conviction about and, and walk out as a church family. How do we decipher between those things that are out of bounds of sound doctrine and those things that are preferentials within sound doctrine, okay? So let's go back to, to Katie, okay? My wife. Am I going to contend for a specific pair of earrings that she chooses to wear? I mean, am I going to get legalist? I mean, I guess it, there could be a pair of earrings out there like that, but probably not, okay? That would make me a legalist. I may have a preference, okay? But it isn't something that I'm going to divide over. There's a lot of different earrings she could wear, okay? Within the sound doctrine of Katie, okay? Now, am I going to contend that Katie and I are married when someone makes an accusation that we're only friends? Absolutely. Right? That's core doctrine. That's sound doctrine. That's like one of the defining issues of our marriage. We are indeed married. If I were to say, eh, yeah, we are just friends. She can just be my friend. You know, I would be a heretic, right? I would be totally licentious. I would have thrown out the sound doctrine of my marriage. But if I am, am up at night having endless debates and arguments and hating on others and sitting on judgment on others because I really prefer when she wears those hoop earrings versus, you know, the ones with the butterfly that just kind of sit on her earlobe, who cares? It's fine to have a preference. It's important to have a preference. But it is not the sound doctrine that defines our marriage, our union together. Metaphors have limitations. I get it. I know you're probably thinking, well, there's all kinds of things we could go into on this. How do we know what to divide over, okay? Let me just lay out a couple, and you may want to write these down. Let me just lay out a few foundational things, okay? How do we know the difference between what is sound and what is not sound? Okay. Can I tell you the best way to grow to understand what sound doctrine is? Are you ready for this? Read the Bible for yourself. <laughs> I am telling you, there is no greater way to understand sound doctrine than to read this book for yourself. There are no doubt some things in this book that are mysterious and confusing and a little bit out there, and one day all those things are going to be made clear. But those are almost all preferential things. The teaching 
that comes through the scripture is plain. It is God's revelation to humanity, and God is profoundly simple. He was not trying to stump us. It's part of the beauty of the Reformation. It's like, you don't need an interpreter. You can actually read this book for yourself. The Holy Spirit will guide you. And if you read it in context, page to page, whole parts, and not just cherry-pick verses, you will find with absolute clarity what the essentials of the faith are, what sound doctrine is. That is the greatest way to grow and to have your heart stirred with affection for Jesus through doctrine, is to a plain reading of the scripture. But you know what? We don't just live in this cultural moment. We have a history that we're wrapped up into, 2,000 years of the church. And there are a lot of really smart and really amazing men and women over the years who have written down and what these core essential things are. Do you know where we find some of those? In the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Do you know what they were doing? They were saying, what are the essential things that make a person a Christian, that define what it means to be a Christian in the world? And they brought those into these creeds that they were taught in the churches. Catechisms are another way to do this. The Westminster Catechism, the Heidelberg uh, Catechism. I know catechisms will then get into some nuanced things and have a little bit differing perspective, but in general, you're going to find the basics there. Statements of faith are statement of faith on the website, healthy churches that have good statements of faith, you kind of see what are the basics. Here are some things, okay? The authority of Scripture. The Scripture speaks of itself to have a kind of authority. What that means is we come under it. It doesn't come under us. As we read it, we say, how does my life align with it? Not how can I tweak it and manipulate it to align with my life and my desires. The authority of Scripture is foundational. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, historically, through the years, in the scripture, you read it and you're like, there's something about this. Is it a mystery? Absolutely. God is three, God is one. The hypostatic, the incarnation, Jesus Christ came in flesh, okay? Foundational to the faith, all through the epistles, all through the gospels, we're constantly coming back to this. The hypostatic, which is a big way of saying Jesus Christ was truly God and truly human, together, one person, the resurrection, foundational. You almost can't flip for a page or two in the New Testament and see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is something that followers of Jesus, it's core to sound doctrine. The ascension, the church is a real thing, a, a community. There's different polities, there's different expressions of churches, but the church is, you can't be a Christian outside of being part of a local body. Christ will return. There will be a day of justice. What that, when that happens, what that looks like, there's a lot of mystery in there. But do you know what? If you read this book through and through in the New Testament, you're going to see Christ will return. And we can hold fast to that. There's hope in that. And part of us teaching and living under sound doctrine as a church is that we would focus on these majors and not major on the minors, Okay. I know the world is crazy right now, okay? And every 10 years or so, it seems like Christians think the end of the world is coming and Jesus is going to return. Anybody with me on this? Okay? And listen, there's nothing wrong with thinking about that and having a conversation about it, okay? It's a good conversation to have. It's a good debate to have. It's good to have a preference on it. It's good to pull scripture on it. It's good to talk through it. It's good to understand those things. If that is what you are supposed to have your time on, you have moved away from sound doctrine, 
You've moved away from the core. You've moved away from the basics, and you are distracted. There are much more foundational things as a body that we are supposed to focus on. Stay to the core. Stay what is healthy. Stay what is sound. Stay what is a plain reading. And David is going to talk about this next week a little bit, but this is out of this sound doctrine. We're to pass it along to one another. This is what a healthy community in Christ looks like, is that as we're growing in sound doctrine, as we're laying this foundation, we're passing it along to others. I want to close here, and I want to um, just take a minute to reflect. And I'd like to invite the musicians to come forward. This verse, and, and our prayer has been this morning as we were praying and preparing as a team, is that it would be an invitation for us, for you, for your hearts, for our hearts, to be stirred anew, or for the first time by Jesus, by learning him hard, by learning him right, to be grounded and rooted in sound doctrine of the faith. That's our prayer. I want to just invite you to take a minute or two here in the quiet of your hearts and just reflect, okay? What stuck, what stuck out? What's convicting? What's the takeaway? What's confusing? You know, write these things down. Bury them in your hearts. Let the Spirit of God do some work in your heart here as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. morning there's good news that at the heart of the doctrine of the Christian faith is the most astonishing message that you have not and you will not ever get it perfectly right we are sinners in desperate need of grace and in all of our inadequacies in all of our wrong thinking, in all the ways we overemphasize things that need to be underemphasized and underemphasize things that need to be overemphasized, in all of our legalistic tendencies, in all of our licentious tendencies, God came in love to set the world right. And he did this not by giving us a test of sound doctrine, but by offering his life for us. And the soundest of all doctrine is that Jesus Christ came in the flesh in sacrificial love to die in the sinner's place 
was raised from the dead, that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in a new kind of life, being formed in community, awaiting his return. And God has taken time to see you, to know you, to call you by name, and he learned you hard, and he has learned you right, even unto death. And his love is this severe, and this extreme, and this intense. And so may we rest in it, and may our hearts be stirred with affection for him. And that's what brings us to this table each week. We join with our brothers and sisters in Christ.